When it comes to picky eaters, there's a spectrum, and most of us are on it, whether we admit it to ourselves or not. I'm really not picky when it comes to, like, different types of foods or new things to try. It's literally just fruit. I, I don't eat fruit. But, like, I love a delicate gnocchi. <laughs> <laughs> I hate olives. They're like imposter grapes. You see them and you're like, oh, these are going to be really tasty because grapes are tasty and, like, delicious. And then you eat it and it's the complete opposite of a grape. I will not eat hamburger, hot dogs, bologna, shrimp. American cheese, pimento cheese, the Parmesan cheese that comes in the shaker canister, boxed mac and cheese, beef jerky, pork rinds, pudding, roasted red peppers, sun-dried I'm Kathy Irway. This is Why We Eat What We Eat, a podcast from Blue Apron and Gimlet Creative. Today on the show, Picky Eaters. Why are some people so finicky about their food? Is it psychological, physiological, are parents to blame? And why do we even care what other people do or do not put in their mouths? I do this thing where like I won't eat the the outer wall of the peanut butter cup when I first wake up. The crinkly boundary. This is Alyssa Nutting. It feels too hard somehow like it's just like too much of a struggle to eat the wall of the peanut butter cup in the morning so I'll cut out just sort of like the circle in a coin shape at night I can eat the edges of peanut butter cups at night I'm up for like any challenge Alyssa's in her mid-30s she's married and has a kid she's a critically acclaimed novelist and a professor She teaches creative writing at Grinnell College in Iowa. We found Alyssa after reading her food diary in New York Magazine's Grub Street blog. She chronicled everything she ate for nearly a week. She wrote about eating the syrup from fast food pancakes straight out of the packets and stacking cookies on top of the slices of pepperoni on her pizza. We needed to know if Alyssa's food diary was real. Sadly, it is all too real. (laughs) If anything, I I left some more embarrassing features out. Everything about Alyssa screams successful adult professional lady. Everything except her diet. One of my favorite vending machine items are sort of these like cylinders of peanuts where if you open one end of the cylinder, it's just this trough that you can raise over your head, beer bong style, and all of the nuts and salt go like roaring into your mouth. Okay, so wait. So when was the last time you ate a vegetable? Um, Like intentionally? Uh... Because sometimes there are vegetables and things and you don't realize. Right. Okay. Um, yeah, that's that like uh, just I, I got um I got these like cornmeal bacon pancakes the other day when we were traveling. They they had sort of chives in them, which I didn't realize. Like I saw something green and was was just like, oh, oh, my goodness. Um, but it was a little too late. I don't even know if that counts as a vegetable, but it was like green, which is something um, I don't eat. I don't eat green things. I don't eat green things is something you typically hear from kids to the dismay of annoyed parents. It's weird to to call yourself picky when most of your dinners come from a vending machine. But 
I think I really am. Alyssa doesn't just like processed food. She lives on it. I like the texture of processed food. I like the kind of intentionality of buying and unwrapping. I like that sometimes it doesn't even feel easy to chew. When she first started dating her husband, Alyssa was freaked out about revealing the side of herself. In the beginning, it was easy to hide this because they were long distance. But then one day, he decided to surprise her with a visit. I had holed up in this cheap hotel to write for a few days. There were two beds, right? And the bed that I had been in, it was just covered in fast food wrappers and like, you know, candy bar wrappers. And so I just pulled the cover over that bed. And I'm like, we'll use the other one. And I was working on this untouched bed and he was like, I'm going to take a quick nap. Everything slowed down. I was just like, no, you know, like as he's like raising the cover, like I wanted to leap across the room. But he just stood there with his mouth open and I could really tell it was not a small thing. And he looked at me and he said, I've never met an adult who eats like you do. I really didn't know if I'd lost him or if we were we were going to be okay um but it was a it was an awkward visit after that i could tell like he needed to he wanted to like go home and and really think think about some things and go for some nighttime walks you know um he had he had some big questions to ask himself about me and in case you're wondering according to her doctors she's fine They certainly don't love her diet, but all her tests are normal. Her cholesterol, everything, normal. Alyssa didn't always eat this way. It's something she really refined as an adult. My parents, um, we didn't keep like much junk food in the house. But I do remember that sort of when I went from elementary school to junior high, suddenly they had sort of all of these options. Um, So like you could take your lunch money and instead of getting the standard school lunch, you could buy like a Slurpee and a giant cinnamon roll and like an ice cream sandwich or something. Though Alyssa didn't start her junk food habit until she was a teenager, her preference for salty, sugary foods may have started long before then back when she was just a tiny fetus. If you look on an ultrasound and infuse sweet substances into the amniotic fluid, babies will increase their swallowing. This is Kimberly Trout. She's a midwife and women's health professor at the University of Pennsylvania. She says that training a palate to accept a wide range of foods starts in pregnancy. Bitter substances will cause them to decrease their swallowing. Sucrose, sugar is innately preferred. The current science about pregnancy says that somewhere around 21 weeks, fetuses start to perceive flavors. They respond to the flavors of the foods their mother has eaten by swallowing more or less. And even at this early stage, sugar is the preferred food. That's why fetuses swallow more when mom is eating sugary foods. And sort of the feeling in the scientific world is this makes sense from an evolutionary perspective because sweet foods are often rich in calories and help, you know, perpetuate the species. Uh, However, in our current modern society, it may be doing us a bit of a disservice now. That's something that we need to counteract when we're trying to train our infants' palates to eat foods that are not sugary. And instead, eat foods that are bitter, like green vegetables. So we're biologically hardwired to like sugar before we're even born. But as babies floating inside our mother's wombs, we can be trained to be open to other types of flavors, 
like bitter ones. Vegetables, when you compare them to sugary snacks, most kids are not going to pick the vegetables. But kids who've been exposed in utero and starting from infancy, those are the kids that are going to pick the vegetables. And what mother does not want her child to eat her vegetables? If you do want to change your child's picky eating habits, Kimberly says it's never too late. No matter at what point you start, even in adults, repeated exposures can often train the palate to acquire the taste. Repeated exposure. This phrase kept coming up over and over with every expert we talked to. So this brings us to the point. Picky eating can't be blamed on biology. Sure, some of it is biological. We have an innate love of sugar even before we're born. And some people are classified as super tasters, which means they have a genetic aversion to bitter foods. But according to the experts, how we feel about foods has a lot to do with whether or not we've encountered them before. That plays a much bigger role. So here's the catch. If you want to get over your dislike of a certain food, you simply have to eat more of it. Same goes for your kids. If they hate, say, fish— it's probably because they haven't been exposed to enough of it. So it's on us. But it's easier said than done. I had to send my youngest daughter to bed without dinner, and I freaked out. Katherine Crawford is a Brooklyn-based writer. And I remember calling my mom, like, I can't do this. And she said, there's nothing wrong with a child going to bed without dinner. Like, she'll survive. And she did, obviously. <laughs> Catherine grew up as one of 13 kids in a big Irish family in San Francisco. And as a kid, she ate what was on the plate. So did her siblings. This wasn't the case in her household when she became a mom. Her kids were picky, and it drove her crazy. One night, she invited her friends over for dinner. A French couple and their two kids. We set the table. I set... Those, you know, those little plates that have all the compartments for kids. You put your peas here and your little bits of turkey here and your cut up tomatoes here. I put those out for the kids with like those little plastic forks that have stars and stuff on them. But the French children, they politely asked for silverware. They weren't used to having their dining experience be different from the adults. Catherine was making a tagine that night, a North African dish with eggplant, chickpeas, and lemon. It was the kind of food her kids would never eat. But the French children? The little girl who was six, or maybe she was seven, she asked me a lot of questions about how I prepared the eggplant, which she called aubergine, of course. You know, what I had done to it, did I just let it sit with lemon juice and salt and olive oil, or did I saute it? These questions kind of blew my mind. And the difference between the behavior of our kids was just unbelievable. And, and I knew my kids weren't bad, you know, terrible kids. I really just saw the, the different ways that we were approaching things. After that dinner with her French friends, Catherine realized she could teach her daughters to have the same kind of appreciation for food. So she changed the way she feeds her kids. And not just at mealtimes. Huge is cutting down on the snacking. I think that kids will eat. I discovered this. They're going to eat when they're hungry. So if you give them some dried mango 
at 5.30 p.m. and then you try to feed them at 6.15, they're not going to be as interested in, you know, say, a dish that incorporates spinach. Catherine also learned the biggest lesson of French parenting when it comes to mealtimes. You will eat what you're served or else you'll be hungry. I'm not going to make you fried egg um, for dinner if you don't like, you know, the salmon that I cooked. You're just going to be hungry. After eight years of doing this, Catherine's kids eat a wide variety of foods. And this kind of exposure therapy works for adults, too. So if you're a picky eater, there's hope. Stephanie Lucianovic is a case in point. I'm Stephanie Lucianovic. I am a former picky eater turned foodie and current author of children's books. Throughout her 20s, Stephanie hated almost every vegetable. She hated fish, steak, eggs, bananas, raisins, tomatoes, anything unfamiliar. Anything with a sauce was a no-go. There was a ton of food she just refused to try. And she didn't get this picky overnight. She and her sister had been perfecting pickiness since they were little. We did get in trouble for all the stuff we tried to do to get rid of the food, feeding it to the cats, putting it in the centerpiece in the middle of the table, trying to flush it down the toilet, trying to throw it out the window, sticking it behind bookcases, sticking it in our pants pockets for the cats to actually find later because we forgot about it. So yeah, we always got in trouble for that. This went on all through Stephanie's childhood, through college, through her 20s. Until one fateful night when she was on a date with her now-husband, Mark, early in their relationship. He suggested we go to this little hole-in-the-wall Thai restaurant. I knew Thai food from growing up in Minneapolis, where we mainly ordered fried stuff, like these fried cheese rolls and uh, various spring rolls. Mark ordered Pad Thai, which I had never had, had never heard of. And when it arrived for him, I looked at it, and to me, it was like my worst nightmare of food. It was a pile of what seemed to me mostly beige items and a mass of noodles that were like an unfamiliar noodle to me. And I could tell that there were some sorts of vegetables in there because I could see the mung bean sprouts. And also, I believe tofu was in there, too, which was something I definitely was not going to touch with a 10-foot pole. Mark, being Mark, offered me a bite, and I said no because I just I couldn't risk it. That's when it really hit home for me that he was a far more sophisticated eater than I was at the same age, that he had tried more foods, liked more foods, and this was something that I felt that I needed to hide, even in early in our relationship, as the fact that I was a picky eater. Just like Alyssa, the woman who loves junk food, Stephanie felt a deep sense of shame about her fear of certain foods, even though her boyfriend Mark was being supportive. I had this huge phobia of sending a plate full of food back to the restaurant when I wouldn't eat half of the food and feeling like the kitchen would make fun of me or be like, like, what is wrong with this person? So Stephanie decided to give her diet a makeover. She stopped eating bologna and frozen pizzas, and she taught herself how to cook. She tried salmon for the first time, and for the first time, she didn't hate fish. It was just a transformative experience that having a fish, a food that I'd hated my whole life and avoided my whole life, and also knew enough people who also didn't like fish that I actually felt fairly secure in my hatred of fish, 
that this was just huge for me to eat salmon and like it and want more of it and want to seek it out later. That salmon filet showed Stephanie that she might actually love some of the foods she thought she hated. Part of it was like, I I just don't want to have so many foods be so frightening to me anymore. I don't want this to be such a stress for me that this affects me. Stephanie started experimenting with confronting her fears, starting with Brussels sprouts. She cooked them over and over again in all different ways until she finally found a way that made her actually like them. Then she started going down the list of all the foods she disliked and avoided. It took several years, but eventually Stephanie overcame her food fears. I just really started to love every aspect of food and cooking and discovering new foods that when the publishing company I worked for moved all of editorial to New York, I instead took my severance and went to culinary school because I had decided that I really wanted to be a cookbook editor. Which she did. She developed a line of cookbooks for William Sonoma, and she wrote a book about overcoming her food fears called Suffering Succotash, a picky eater's quest to understand why we hate the foods we hate. But she says this journey is not for everyone. She's not an evangelist about reforming picky habits. In fact, her words of advice for the non-picky eaters among us? There's a lack of empathy and understanding of picky eaters, because if you don't experience it, it's for a lot of people, it's very hard to understand what it must feel like to live in a world where so much food scares you or you don't like it. I mean, picky eaters are not doing it by choice. No one would ever choose to, you know, live a life where so much food is disgusting to you. It's not happy. Today, Stephanie eats pretty much everything, except raisins and bananas. She still thinks those are really gross. So I can relate to Stephanie and Alyssa and all the picky eaters in this episode. I have a secret food shame. I've always eaten most things. I'll eat jellyfish, chicken feet, liver, you name it. And I write about food and cooking. And right now I'm hosting this podcast on eating. But even I don't eat everything. As a kid, I absolutely hated cheese. The smell of Parmesan on someone else's bowl of pasta would make me feel nauseous. At birthday parties, I would peel the cheese off of my pizza. I eventually got to eating more mild cheeses, and in my 20s, I even started eating cheddar. And I like those things now, but I still really don't like the really pungent cheeses like blue cheese. I want to try everything there is to explore about cheese, and I sense that only liking the mild stuff is missing out. So my producer and I took a trip to Murray's Cheese in the West Village of New York City, and we decided to tackle the cheese counter. So we're walking into Murray's Cheese right now. There's a sign out front that says, Become a Curd Nerd. Ah, You can immediately smell the cheese, but it's kind of this like potpourri of everything in the store. So at one end of the cheese counter is the easy stuff. Maybe they can help me explore by starting with some of the milder, sort of, you know, kids' palate-friendly cheeses and go from there. I, like, love blue cheese. Okay. Blue cheese is my favorite. What about that funky, oozy cheese? Yeah, that's gross. (laughs) So we got a ticket, and we waited for a cheesemonger to help us out. So our number's C31, and they're at 28 right now. 
and uh, we explained what we were doing, and uh, we got to taste a few cheeses first, like this big hunk of Parmesan he started us out on, which was fine. It was just a lot of cheese. Oh, thank you. What is this? It's a Mary Celeste Parmesan Reggiano. Ooh, great. Okay, he just gave me a huge piece of Parmigiano Reggiano. A, a cheese that used to make you feel nauseous? It did. I, I really, it was, it was a really tough one for me. I mean, I don't taste it yet, but this piece is way too big. I'm never going to finish it because that's just too much cheese. <laughs> um, but you like it? It's definitely, it's good. Yeah. You don't seem like necessarily like happy right now. Um, no. And then we told him that we wanted to do some blue cheese tasting. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Ooh, that one with like the warts on the outside looks very scary. Um, so while we were trying these cheeses, I was actually too embarrassed to take a big bite because I was a little afraid I would gag or make a weird face. So Julie made me go outside and then actually try them. I tried the Gorgonzola. Ooh. The Stilton. Whoa. And the Roquefort. 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 I, I want to say it tastes moldy, but that's just because it is moldy. <laughs> Every single word that is gross is a tasting note for this. This one is much more creamy, which I don't think that is a good feature to me. It's like slime is falling off this little pitchfork. So I'm just like licking the tiniest bit from the tip before it falls off. No! Oh no! Oh god! Make it stop! It's like immediately hit my tongue with this burst of gross. Okay, it's all right. Do you want to take a swig of water? Yes, I do. I need some water. Thank you. Well, I ate it. Your eyes are watering a little bit. I know, I know. (laughs) I'm just like, I'm sorry I made you do that. That's okay, that's okay. I want to, I think that this is progress. So I took home a block of each of the three blue cheeses, and over the week I tried them, like every day a little bit, and then I cooked with them. I tried to make a pasta with gorgonzola and arugula, and it slowly grew on me, after eating the leftovers especially. You know, it's still not something I like, but it was something that I no longer am shocked by the taste of and have this like immediate repulsion towards So we'll see. I still don't like it. But according to Professor Kimberly Trout, if I really want to like blue cheese, this is something I can do. Focus it on the positive. It's never too late to try to change things. Repeated exposures at any age sometimes can make a difference. So I'm going to try. Some bites are worse than others. It's, It's getting a little bit better, though. Why We Eat What We Eat is a podcast from Blue Apron and Gimlet Creative. This episode was produced by Julia Botero, Francis Harlow, Matt Schultz, Rachel Ward, Abby Rizika, Jorge Estrada, and Tom Cody. 
creative direction from Nazanin Rafsanjani. We were edited by Wendy Dorr and mixed by Zach Schmidt and Sam Baer. Special thanks to Robin Dando, Jessica Joel Alexander, Aliza Pressman, and Dina Rose. Coming up next week on Why We Eat What We Eat, we're going to a potluck. We'll talk to people who've been potlucking for generations and those who are just getting into it. The potluck thing, we don't have that in Kenya. If people are coming to your house, you cook. I think back home, if you did that, people will look at you like, what? What did she do? <laughs> you can find that episode and every episode on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the show, subscribe and leave us a review telling us what you liked about it. It also helps people find the show. That's it for this week. I'm Kathy Airway. Thanks for listening. <laughs>